In today's Vectoral Podcast, we review the use of lidocaine for chemical cardioversion of AV tachycardia in dogs. Accessory pathways, what we'll call APs from now on, refer to interruptions of the normal fibrous band that forms the junction between the atria and the ventricles, the AV junction. Such pathways generally consist of myocardial cells that can conduct electrical impulses between the atria and ventricles, which under normal circumstances occurs only at the AV node. Accessory pathways may conduct electrical impulses in the antegrade, retrograde, or both antegrade and retrograde directions. Antegrade conduction results in ventricular pre-excitation. In other words, depolarization of the portion of the ventricular myocardium independent of the typical conduction pathway. Retrograde conduction across an accessory pathway creates a potential for a macro reentrant circuit incorporating the atrial myocardium, AV node Hiss-Purkinje system, ventricular myocardium, and the accessory pathway. This scenario can result in form of supraventricular tachycardia, SVT, known as orthodromic atrioventricular reciprocating tachycardia, which we will definitely abbreviate as OAVRT from now on. So, in comes lidocaine. We use it all the time, but do you actually remember what type of antiarrhythmic it is and what it does? Lidocaine is a class 1B antiarrhythmic whose mechanism of action is blockade of fast sodium channels in myocardial cells. It has minimal effect on duration of the action potential in the myocyte. Traditionally, lidocaine has been considered an effective therapy for ventricular arrhythmias and far less so for supraventricular arrhythmias, despite studies supporting no notable difference in the effect of lidocaine on sodium channels in these two populations of myocardial cells, indicating some other mechanism for the differential efficacy. The primary reasons for the difference in efficacy of lidocaine in atrial myocytes versus ventricular myocytes has to do with the differences in the normal action potential of these two tissues. Atrial myocytes are in a greater state of depolarization at rest than ventricular myocytes, thus sodium channels, which are responsible for the phase 1 upstroke of the action potential, are available in reduced supply as a result, which results in a reduced sodium inward current. Secondly, the atrial action potential lacks a plateau phase, which can result in fewer sodium channels available for blockade. And since class 1b antiarrhythmics like lidocaine do not prolong the effective refractory period, unlike class 1a antiarrhythmics such as percanamide, which do, there is hence little mechanism by which lidocaine can have an effect on atrial myocytes. Stay with me. That's why we're taught in veterinary school that lidocaine really only works on the ventricle or ventricular premature contractions. That said, myocardial cells in accessory pathways appear to far more closely resemble ventricular cardiomyocytes as opposed to atrial myocytes at an ultrastructural level, supporting the premise that lidocaine may in fact be effective for accessory pathway-mediated supraventricular arrhythmias. So right and all, at a MedVet, wanted to evaluate this in a study entitled lidocaine for chemical cardioversion of orthodromic atrioventricular reciprocating tachycardia in dogs. This study was prospective and non-randomized, and inclusion criteria included dogs with a narrow complex tachycardia highly suggestive of OAVRT on a 12-lead echocardiogram. These markers included regular RR intervals, 
a RP interval greater than the PR interval, whereby P represents the ectopic P waves buried within the ST segment of the preceding QRS complexes, termination of the tachyarrhythmia with the occurrence of second-degree AV block, and confirmation of OAVRT on electrophysiologic studies. In each patient, lidocaine was administered intravenously in 2 mg per kg bolus increments to a max dose of 8 mg per kg. A two-minute delay was implemented between each dose to allow for assessment of whether the tachyarrhythmia converted to normal sinus rhythm and no further doses were administered if conversion did occur. Electrocardiography was monitored throughout the lidocaine administration, and electrocardiographic features in both sinus rhythm and during the tachyarrhythmia were recorded. Adverse effects were also recorded. A complete electrophysiologic study was performed the next day. Briefly, the accessory pathway location was identified, conduction properties, either retrograde, antegrade, or both, and identification of its role in the tachycardia circuit confirmed, and radiofrequency ablation of the accessory pathway was performed. A total of 32 dogs were enrolled in the study, 16, 50%, of which were Labrador retrievers, a breed with known predisposition to OAVRT. Median age was 1.6 years. Heart rates during SVT slash OAVRT ranged from 292 to 400 beats per minute. I'm tachycardic, just thinking about that heart rate. All dogs had been receiving some form of antiarrhythmic therapy prior to the study, including 27 dogs receiving two or more antiarrhythmics. The most common antiarrhythmics being administered prior to presentation was diltiazem in 23 dogs and sotolol in 20 dogs. 84% of the dogs converted from OAVRT to sinus rhythm with administration of lidocaine prior to the onset of any adverse effects. In all cases, termination of the OAVRT occurred with a QRS complex that was not followed by a P wave, indicating that the rhythm had effectively been blocked in the accessory pathway as opposed to the AV node. For example, if the accessory pathway had not been affected by the lidocaine and termination of the rhythm occurred in the AV node, then a retrograde P wave would have occurred prior to each block as the impulse traveled from the ventricles into and throughout the atriomyocardium via the accessory pathway. Median cumulative dose to convert the rhythm was 2 mg per kg with a maximum dose of lidocaine of 8 mg per kg. Eight dogs only required the initial 2 mg per kg bolus without any further intervention with medication until their ablation procedure. In the five dogs that did not convert with lidocaine, the cumulative dose was limited by the development of adverse effects, which occurred at a median cumulative dose of 6 mg per kg. Adverse effects occurred in 10 dogs total, and not surprisingly, a statistically significant association occurred between dosing and likelihood of adverse effects. Side effects were predominantly gastrointestinal, nausea, vomiting, and neurologic, sedation, tremoring, and seizuring, and were brief in duration, with only one dog requiring treatment for adverse effects. He received diazepam for seizures. Of the dogs that did not experience adverse effects, 14 required initiation of a constant rate infusion of lidocaine, with a median dose of 50 mics per kg per minute and a range of 25 to 60 mics per kg per minute due to reoccurrence of the OAVRT shortly after dissipation of the lidocaine boluses. Seven dogs received altiasm for recurrent OAVRT. During electrophysiologic studies, a single accessory pathway was identified in 31 out of 32 dogs. 
one dog had two accessory pathways. The most common locations were along the right free wall in 17 dogs and right posterosceptal region in 13 dogs. The dogs in which right free wall accessory pathways were identified had been significantly more likely to convert with lidocaine than those with the posteroseptal pathways. There were no other patient characteristics or accessory pathway factors that influenced likelihood of conversion with lidocaine. When evaluated in combination with a prior study of five dogs with SVT that successfully converted with lidocaine, albeit not confirmed to have OAVRT in all five dogs, the recurrence of ventricular pre-excitation following conversion of the SVT in some of the dogs indicates that lidocaine may have differential effects on antegrade versus retrograde conduction across accessory pathways, with retrograde conduction block being more pronounced. The majority of investigations of lidocaine as an antiarrhythmic for supraventricular arrhythmias, including accessory pathways, in humans has not supported efficacy. In the author's experience, lidocaine has minimal effect on primary atrial tachyarrhythmias in dogs as well. However, in contrast to human literature, the present study suggests significant efficacy of lidocaine in accessory pathway-mediated supraventricular arrhythmias in dogs. Thus, administration of lidocaine to a dog with SVT appears to also serve a diagnostic purpose in that successful conversion would suggest the underlying mechanism to be OAVRT slash accessory pathway mediated as opposed to a focal atrial tachycardia, for example. Prior reports of lidocaine to successfully convert atrial fibrillation and atrial flutter in dogs has also been published, which may be due to vagolytic mechanisms. So what do we take away from this Vecoral podcast? First of all, you need to hug that really smart cardiologist that you're standing or working with. They know a lot. Although seeming to be technical on face value, this study provides some highly practical information for any veterinary clinician. Although the typical ECG findings that are suggestive of an OAVRT may not be readily apparent to some clinicians, or in some cases at all, this recognition skill can improve with practice and experience, which may enable clinicians who can recognize OAVRT to select lidocaine as a first-line treatment for SVT when suspicion for an OAVRT is high. Even in the presence of this skill on ECG pattern recognition, this study also provides a knowledge that lidocaine may be effective for some supraventricular tachycardias, thus is worth consideration for treatment of any SVT that appears refractory to more traditional therapies for SVTs, which is typically beta blockers and calcium channel blockers. In other words, don't be scared to reach for that lidocaine even with SVTs. Thankfully, because lidocaine is generally well-tolerated and is also safe and effective for ventricular arrhythmias as well, there is relatively limited risk to the patient if the clinician's initial diagnosis of SVT is in fact incorrect and the patient instead has a ventricular arrhythmia. This is in contrast to the calcium channel blockers such as diltiazem, which, while highly effective for many SVTs, are contraindicated for ventricular tachycardia and could put your patient at grave risk if the clinician's initial ECG diagnosis of SVT is incorrect. By the way, if you're still confused on cardiac medications, there's a great Bechdel webinar on cardiac medications for veterinary technicians in our library. 